What is going on, Shark Football Fantasy family? It is your resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar. We have made it. It is like multiple weeks into October now. I know it's only six days, but we're in our second week of football of in October. Uh, and we're building up that data. We're learning things about these NFL teams. And the fantasy season is really kind of just ramping, just full throttle right now. Uh, and with that, you know, I like to tag in some friends of mine, colleagues in the industry, people that are definitely smarter than me. They're going to carry the conversation. And with that today, uh, you know, I didn't want to bring him on early in the year. I wanted us to build up some of that data, uh, you know, because I know he gets into the nitty gritty. So that he loves to see when the, the utilization builds up. And, you know, if that's not a spoiler alert, uh, it is Dwayne McFarlane. Dwayne, what's going on, brother? Man, I am doing great. Love, love, love coming on the show, Rich. Um, and thank you for being kind and saying, you know, you bring smarter people on. But there, there's nobody smarter than you in the industry, let's be honest. But yeah, uh, you know, it's, you, you know, it's been, uh, it's been exciting, like, well, about six weeks for me. Made a little switch, went from Pro Football Focus over to FantasyLife.com. So that is going really well. Loving the fact that, man, I get to put everything out without a paywall now. Like, it's a whole new world. Like yeah. so many more people can get to your information um, and not that paywalls are bad. Like paywalls are good too. Like I love working at PFF, but like, it's just something like now knowing that everybody can read everything. And like, when you promote it, like you'll put out a tweet, man, like, and as soon as people see the word free, like it's just like explodes, like, and everybody's going to it. Whereas before I tweet something out and it'd like hit a paywall and they're like, yeah, thanks Dwayne. Uh, so <laughs> that's been kind of interesting. So yeah. It's, yeah your uh, following is probably going to blossom right now. Cause I mean, I remember when I got to go to work at NBC and it, everything was free. That was when I made like my huge growth jump because yeah, you know, one gets stonewalled. And then when everyone can read your stuff, it, it, it helps your following obviously. So have you seen that? Have you seen like a big shift? Yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't know, like when the season started, I want to say my Twitter account was like at 35, 36,000. It's like at 66,000. Ooh, baby. Yeah. So yep. it's been a bit, it's been a big, like six weeks. <laughs> so. No, that's incredible, man. Listen, and you deserve anyways, you deserve more followers than that. Uh, I remember, you know, finding you a couple of years ago and I was like, man, no one's, no one's following this dude. No hey, but hey, you're doing when you're when you're following your passion, man, and and you know you're really because this is a really um, there's a lot of good people in this industry. Like I look at that all the time still mm -hmm. now. Like I'll see people putting out content. I'm like, man, how does this person not have more people following? But what I love is everybody helps one another out for the most part. Like there's a few bad apples in any industry, but overall, I, I know sometimes we think Twitter can be toxic, social media can be toxic, but what I found with most people in our industry. Like, man, really good people like you. You've helped me out in the past. You know, you've you've mentioned me. Um, I've had people like greats like Matt Waldman early on, like kind of took me in with him and really helped me start to build my following. Evan Silva then came along. And like, you know, when you get the Evan Silva bump, like that's this huge thing. I remember that was my first big bump on Twitter when I started writing for ETR. And Evan basically came out in my first utilization article that I wrote for them. And he. And he put out a really cool tweet about it and i think i gained like five thousand followers and i was like whoa like man like this is crazy um so man there's just so many good people and if you if you're one of the people out there putting out work and you're wondering why more people aren't following you man when i started doing this i was writing the utilization report four years ago and i was tweeting about this stuff and i would get one like and I just kept doing it. I kept making it better. I kept thinking like, what's working? What's not working? Like, what kind of tweets do people like? What type of articles am I writing that are getting the most reads? What are not? And then just looking at other really good people in the industry, you know, like you. And uh, just trying to constantly hone it, man, and keep working on it. And 
the thing is I was doing something that I love doing that I would wake up and do anyway. So you just kind of got to find like what is going to be your angle on it and how can you bring some, how can you refresh the information? There's only so much information, right? It's all finite. Mm -hmm. And so like what, what can you do to help answer questions that maybe other people are not answering? And that's what led me to the utilization report. I was like, man, how could we maybe figure out, break these players roles down into a little bit more detail? Like you hear me, like, it's really cool. Honestly, like now when you listen to other podcasts and you're hearing people be like, yep, they're the two minute back. They're the long down and distance back. <laughs> or they're the, and you're like, man, like before I started talking about those things, like you didn't use, people didn't use those terms. Like people knew what they were like, cause we were, we knew it. You, you talk about football, you know, there's different roles but no one had ever like truly like grab all the data and put it like out there for, for everyone. And so it's just awesome. Like hearing that kind of stuff. Cause some people will send me a message. Like, hey man, they're still in your stuff. And I'm at one point I was kind of like, you know, I would not think they were stealing, but I was just kind of like, man, like, come on, like come up with your own angle. And then I just stopped thinking that I was like, you know, like, look, like, it's kind of like flattering in a way like that other people are now like that engaged into it. Right. And so for me, it's like, okay, what's the next thing? Like, what's the next big thing like that I'm going to try to figure out or continue. And it pushes us. Like we're all pushing each other to be better at what we're doing. You know, you and I were talking before the show, like doing the column you do and some of the heft, you know, some of the big names in the industry that do some things that, you know, not necessarily compete with you, but when you look at it, you're like, man, mine is though. I got to keep making mine better because theirs is good. And so that's the way I think about it. Yeah, absolutely. And you were someone when you kind of, you know, came up when I first found you, you, you always find people in life sometimes that they just speak the same language as you, right? Like, you know, and the way I play fantasy football and always have and the way I approached it is, you know, kind of like player archetypes is what I've always cared about first, like how players are, are used and like how this player is, is used compared to uh, different players and his peers, right? Like Tyler Boyd is not what AJ Brown is, right? Like, but they're both right. fantasy wide receivers. Right. But you know, and uh, when you came along with that, you know, I was like, Oh, this, this is, this is why I speak this. I speak this. Like he, this is someone that speaks my language. We're going to be kosher. Uh, and it turns out like it, outside of football too, we finally got to meet in person can, and it was, but for everyone finding this for the first time, they're hearing for the first time, uh, break down, you know, a, a quick synopsis of what actually the utilization report is, sure. and then you can remind people where they can find it too. Yeah. So, I mean, you can find it over at fantasylife.com. Um, and, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at Dwayne McFarland, D-W-A-I-N-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. And I put out a lot of my, you know, uh, tidbits and nuggets, like as I'm finding them, I'll kind of drop them out there, you know, into Twitter. So if you see them out there, you know, uh, that kind of gives you a flavor for like what it is, but just go to the site. It's all there for free. I put it up every week. It usually comes out on Tuesday around noon. Um, but in a nutshell, like what the utilization report is designed to do is just look at what are the underlying drivers, like two fantasy points from, you know, the way players get used. So for example, the two minute offense, like if you're playing in a PPR league and you have a back that's playing in the two minute offense, here's an easy way to think about it, Rich. Like when people ask me about it, like Austin Eckler, uh, I think it was week two had like eight or nine fantasy points and it was a Thursday night game. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden what happens the last drive of the game, they go into the two minute offense to get the ball down the field. Austin Eckler picks up like four grabs on that drive alone for 30 yards or something. And you pick up seven points. You just went from being a nine point fantasy back, right. To being, you know, a 17, 16, 17 point fantasy back on the week. So those little things matter. So I just started researching, okay, if I start breaking these roles out, number one, like what are the break points? Like what do the league averages say when a team is in this down and distance, how often do they pass? And I find those break points and I'm like, okay, so if the league almost always passes in this situation, I want to know what backs are on the field in this, in these scenarios. 
Then I started correlating that back to fantasy points and saying, okay, does this matter for fantasy? Two-minute offense? I found that 20% you know, of a player's targets come in the two-minute offense. That's a lot considering that the two-minute offense is not 20% of an offense. Like, you know, it's you, it's a ramped up, and it makes sense, right? When you think about football, the defense, what do they do when the offense goes into the two-minute offense at the end of a half or if they're trailing? They go into shell coverage. They're like, hey, check it down. We don't care. Check it down. We don't care. Well, if you got enough time to go down and try to kick a field goal, then it's like, fine, we'll check it down. Austin Eckler, Austin Eckler, Austin Eckler. And so these roles end up being more valuable than the number of snaps, right? So that you get certain roles, like if you're getting the short down and distance work, that usually translates to you're getting the carries inside the five. So you hear a lot of talk about green zone inside the five rushing attempts. So the problem with those is it's such a small sample. You're not down there that often, but short down and distance. So that's a scenario where you're in third or fourth down. You got one to two yards to go. There's more of those in a game. There's more of those over a season. So we can start to see where teams are using players. Almost 80, 90% of the time, if you have that role, you're also the inside the five back, right? So it just gives us a broader sample. So finding those ways to find the roles, and we've been talking about running back so far, that ultimately end up being worth the most to your fantasy value. And what I'm looking for okay, what if players start trending up in those certain areas? Because also, if you're playing two-minute offense or you're playing long down and distance as a running back, that's starting to tell me if you see that trending up, the coaches are starting to trust you with your pass protection. The hardest thing for a rookie, for example, running back to take over is the passing down role. Once mm-hmm. they do that, man, everything else is gravy because you know they can take, they've been running backs their whole life. Like they know how to run a football, like if, but they got to figure out how to pick up blitzes, not get the quarterback killed. So there's little nuances you can look for where maybe like they're not getting a 70% snap share yet, but you're noticing like, wow, like this rookie is getting all this passing down work. Light bulb goes off. One, that's a valuable role. Two, it's the hardest thing to do. So if you can do that and now you're going to take over the early down, it's easier to take over the early down role. And if something happens, now all of a sudden you're looking at an every down back. Whereas someone else that's getting the early down work that they don't trust in pass downs, even if the lead back gets hurt, a lot of times you'll see that running back won't take over those snaps because it's a trust thing with the coaches because because quarterbacks are so valuable to the if your quarterback goes down you're pretty much screwed except for very, a couple of scenarios in the league so those are the kind of things it's trying to find these preemptive tells to find players we can be ahead on and then vice versa like what are some of the players that we shouldn't care as much about or maybe like it really has changed it's like you know this player maybe is out there for a lot of snaps but they're not getting any of the high value touches like mm-hmm. so there's there's Guys like that that are getting 65% of the snaps, and you're like, man, they never get any of the carries inside the 20. They don't get the short down and distance work. When they go to the two-minute offense, they don't get any of that. Now, it doesn't always work because I basically just explained Miles Sanders, right? And you can still be on a good enough offense to overcome that. Um, Or you can have Boston Scott out, and then you get to get those carries inside the five last week. So all sorts of little nuance. Sometimes it shows up in the form of DFS, week-to-week information, but other times it's more of trying to capture a trend so we can get ahead like of the curve on players because the best way to win at fab is to be a week early. Like mm-hmm. go get that player for one or 2%, man. You don't want to be bidding 50% of your fab on Mike Boone. Like, come on. Like, I don't want to be put in that situation. So <laughs> I, 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 that's what, that was the big thing that made me do this. Yeah. And the leagues I play in, you know, like Mike Boone, like he's one of the few backs that's even available. So you got to know like how much fab you want to put on this guy and knowing the kind of role he'd been in before this last week, like that helps you. Yeah, and this uh, season has been, I think, unique for Fab. And I think that the trend of fantasy, uh, and, you know, maybe we, we blame like last week's guest, Ben Gretsch, the ship chasers. But, you know, the the aggressiveness of more gamers willing to throw stuff at the RB2 position 
uh, now mm-hmm. being the increase of that has made it so there are more of those guys actually rostered and, and owned in your leagues. Mm-hmm. Like those guys I've noticed this year, like aren't available, right? Like even like you think guy like Jeff Wilson early in the year, like, you know, he's owned all the 49ers guys were drafted, right? Like Tyrion Davis price was on teams. Uh, you know, these guys were already rostered. Jalen Warren was drafted. Like these guys weren't available in like a lot of leagues and on waivers and uh it's it's really made waivers really dry to start this year so when someone like mike boone comes along you see people are like oh i got it in my pocket that's what i was saying man <laughs> it's a lot of pent up dude i saw latavius murray go in my like high stakes and mid-stake leagues last night for 500 dollars. that's how pent up all this anxiety is because yeah man one there's not been anyone truly popping and then if there has been someone to your point they've typically already been on a roster so now all of a sudden everybody has like been waiting and they're like, oh, my God, let's Murray. Like, they just freak out like they got to go get it. And, uh, you know, so, like, I want to avoid that. I did not get Latavius Murray in any league no. last, last I think I got him in two, and I min-bitted him. Like, I like on a $1,000 fab, I was putting, like, 38 bucks down, yep. you know. So, I, I got him a couple t- – I did not get Mike Boone one single time. And I'm okay with know. it. I can live we with didn't it. either. We, did, we threw some courtesy bids on Mike Boone, but it was one of those yeah, things. Yeah, you got to enforce it a little, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's beautiful. We'll get into some some utilization in a minute here, but I've been asking people because it is still kind of relatively still fresh in the season. We've got four weeks in. We're building. They were building that sample. But uh, is there one player so far that has not quite performed up to standards, preseason standards, that you still feel pretty bullish on big picture this year? Yeah, there's actually several. I'm going to give you one and give the breakdown, and then I'll just give people the names of a couple of others so okay. they can think about those. And if you want to know more, they can go check it out over at fantasylife.com. But the way I think about this first, like there's the criteria, right? So number one, what I still care about earliest early in the season the most is I want I want plus talent profiles. So guys that we know are very talented based on the last couple of years, we know they're still in the sweet spot as far as their career goes based on like career arcs, right? And when we know these guys peak. So you're not necessarily looking for, and that can vary, right? By position. For some positions, it's older. For, for running back, it's definitely younger. So th- those are definitely still like huge things to me. Then the next thing is the utilization, right? The opportunity that's, are they, are they playing enough? Or are they playing in roles that makes me get excited that the future could still open up, right? And then the last thing is the environment. Like what kind of team are they on? Like, is this team any good? Is this team terrible? Like, if they're a bad team, are they at least running enough plays to make them viable? Like, if they're a really good team, you know, I mean, like, obviously that makes it easy. So, yeah, like, when I put all those criteria together, like, a name that immediately comes to the very top for me is still Darren Waller. And, like, so when we look at the tight end position, I know we've got Devontae Adams there. But I still think, like, for this team, um, it's still going to be a very consolidated target tree. I I know we've had a little bit of a Mac Hollins, like, had a big game. But if you go look at his targets per route run, this year they're still basically at his career average this guy's not demanding a high target share like he's a 13 14 percent player which is fine i think when you look at Devonte adams like he's gonna get his 28 29 probably on the year i think there were some doubts about that i think we can set those aside now adams is probably going to be close to 30 percent in target share this year but if you look at it like and we see this in Miami too, right? You can still see a huge part of the targets consolidate around three people. And I still think that Waller, I still think that Welker can be in that 20% range. It's pretty rare to have a 30%er and then two 20%ers on the same team. Like it almost never happens. But in this specific pass tree, I like it for all the reasons that I said. I still love the talent profile on Darren Waller. 
Um, I like the offense that he resides in. Um, I like the division that they play in. You know, they have to play in a lot of high-scoring games. And I think, you know, it's just one of those scenarios where he's out on the field plenty, Rich. I mean, like his route participation, 87% and 88% the last two weeks. 80% is elite. So if you go back, like, to 2011, an, an easy cheat code on a tight end, if you're out on the field for at least 80% of the routes, like 90% of the time, that means you're a top 12 tight end. If you're a talented player, like you're coming in and we know that you're a player like by looking at yards per route run, targets per route run, PFF receiving grade, Darren Waller checks all those things. He was down a little bit last year battling injuries, but overall last couple of years really good. If you have the talent equation plus that, you're like always a top six. You're usually, if honestly, that's a top three. Now it's pretty competitive at the top because you have Andrews and you got Kelsey. Don't think he'll overtake those guys. But if I had to rank the tight ends today, like I would, you know, re-ranking, I would have Waller as my number three because I think he checks all the boxes that we want. He's not going to have the ceiling 30, 40% games. But if in this year's tight end, you know, scenario, like I still think Waller is going to be easily in the top five. And you might find other fantasy managers in your league that are down on him because he's had a PPR finish of tight end 30 and 29 in the last two weeks. Yeah, I like that. I like Darren Waller. I had him as my tight end three coming into the season too. So, uh, you know, hoping he hoping he rebounds. The first two weeks were strong for him too. He had two top ten weeks too as yeah. well. The other four uh, quick names, and I won't go into them, but but similar the criteria. Remember the plus mm-hmm. talent profile is number one. So Elijah Moore, right now the other two, Kareem Hunt and Alvin Kamara, like you could argue, like they're on the fringe, right, of where the age thing becomes a problem, but. One of the cheat codes to that is if you're the passing down option. Like things have gone perfectly. Nick Chubb is awesome, but game scripts have worked out perfectly for Nick Chubb. If you go yes. look at his utilization, has not changed. Nope. Kareem Hunt still gets all the passing down work. Kareem Hunt still coming out to help close out games. Kareem Hunt still stealing work inside the five. You know, so that those are things that when I look at that, I'm like, you know, Kareem Hunt is still going to be a good player. You're not going to like, you know, I still think he's a low end RB2, right? But most people now think of Kareem Hunt. They're like, ah, he's an RB3. No, the talent profile is still there too. So Kamara's just been hurt, but the utilization has been very, very, very encouraging. And then the last one is Deontay Johnson. I know he hasn't come through yet. There's, there's challenges. I know we'll talk about the Steelers quarterback later, but man, just demanding targets on such a great level. Um, now the team environment, right, is the question there. That's a big question. The team environment of the Steelers is holding Deontay Johnson down, but like there's a chance and we'll talk about Pickett in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I like all those names too. Uh, I like the, the cream hunt call too. I mean, you look at the Browns, they've had a perfect run out. They've trailed for the seven fewest rate of snaps so far. The opening yeah. month they faced, they faced four garbage quarterbacks and, uh, it's about to get real tough for the Browns pretty starting this week. I mean, you know, with Justin Herbert coming into town, so we should see game scripts start to change. And you just go back two weeks ago on the Thursday night game, uh, Nick Chubb got there. He got the goal line touchdown, but it was after Kareem Hunt came off the field mm-hmm. and he didn't convert his. But if Kareem Hunt converts that first goal line carry, you know, Nick Chubb has his 10-point game off of his 100 yards rushing <laughs> because he's not catching the ball still. And the other thing you get with Kareem Hunt, like if you can go buy him, and we don't want this. Like, I, I honestly, I'm we'll so happy for Nick. Yeah. yeah, I'm so happy for Nick Chubb. Like, I, he, we've known he's one of the top three oh, running yeah. backs in the league. So to get to see him sitting at the top of the fantasy ranks is fine. But but the underlying utilization has not changed. So the rug's going to be pulled out one of these weeks on Chubb. And when it happens, it's probably going to be Kareem Hunt that'll benefit. But yeah, it's the contingent value. If something happens to Nick Chubb, man, Kareem Hunt is to the moon. Yeah, yeah, I like that call, especially with the way the run out has gone. Because a lot, some people don't always. They just look at the results, and you know, hey, the the, the Browns really have been. They have not trailed at all. Even you know, last mm-hmm. week adding on like the, the the sample of snaps that they actually trailed 
was very small in that game. So flipping on the other side, who's someone four weeks in that, you know, you've kind of really already changed your priors on based on how you felt, you know, the seven months building up into the season. Uh, it's really the Seattle passing game, which comes down to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Um, you know, two players that when they slid in drafts, I would take them because the talent was still there. Talent profile is at the top, but I just thought, man, Rich, we've got, uh, so to put things in perspective, the Seattle offense last year ran three games less worth of plays versus the bills. That means if you had bills players, Stefan Diggs, he got to play the equivalent of three games more than DK Metcalf just based on the way the offenses were ran. Like that's, that just puts you at a huge hole. Yep. Then there was Geno Smith versus Drew Locke. And I'm like, man, I, I don't trust this. I don't trust Geno Smith or Drew Locke. Now I will say in fantasy, you don't have to have a great fantasy quarterback to score fantasy points. Like you just need them to not be terrible basically. But I thought terrible was in the range of outcomes and Geno Smith has completely proven me wrong. And like what gives me the most like encouragement about Geno Smith is the fact that someone like Pete Carroll which is basically like a sour beer face when it comes to offense has decided like come out. He came out before the week three game and he said, you know what? Geno Smith is playing well. I think also he didn't say this part. I'm sure he's thinking in his head. My defense sucks. I've got two good receivers. How do I, what's my formula? What's the Seahawks formula to win games this year? And Geno opened all this up, but he said, they're going to go up tempo and they did. So if you look at the Seahawks and this, they've done this with just two weeks because they weren't doing this in the first two games, but over the last two weeks, they have gone to the moon in the percentage of snaps where they're snapping the ball with 15 seconds or more left on the play clock, 32% of the time. That's a huge amount. That That's a great indicator for pace. That ranks second in the league behind another offense we love called the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm. And so as long as Geno can keep this up, that that's the wild card. Like if defenses figure out Geno Smith, um, and that could happen. We see this a lot, Rich. Like what, if, what are defenses watching the last three weeks of film? Now you got a full three, four weeks on Geno. Defenses are going to start to challenge him in new ways. I will say DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett having two targets that good makes it really hard with him playing with the confidence level he has. That's the wild card. If they get Geno to start turning the ball over, that makes Pete start, you know, Pete Carroll start to doubt, oh, should I really be running my offense that way? That that's where the challenge comes back. That's where the challenge comes in. But this pace has been huge. So in the first two games, they ran 48 plays in non-overtime mm-hmm. um, per game. The last two games, that's up to 66 since they've made this change. That makes everything in Seattle viable. That makes Rashad Penny viable. That makes DK Metcalf viable. That makes Tyler. DK Metcalf, is uh, he's a wide receiver one now. Like He is back on the wide. He's in, I've got him as a low-end wide receiver one the rest of the way. I've got Tyler Lockett as a mid-range wide receiver two the rest of the way. I've got Rashad Penny as a high-end running back two as for the rest of the way. Now, Kenneth Walker's lurking. like So that, that, that could be a challenge for Penny. He's got to stay healthy. But right now, he's clearly the lead guy. So... I missed on all these guys, um, but I'm moving on. I'm using them I'm as much as I can in DFS for the last two weeks. I've been pounding them. Um, you know, the prices are starting to catch up now, but I think, I think this is going to last. I like it when you tell the coach, when the coach says they're going to do something and then they follow through on it, Rich. And then, you know, when you kind of look at all the pieces, it fits to me. Yeah. I like that. Uh, Lockett was a guy I, I grabbed in a ton of leagues and it's not because I had like a, I had an extremely bullish stance. I just thought he was too good to go where he was yeah, going. Too like he, was, he was just, a, I was like, well, this guy's got this, you know, this running resume and he's like available at wide receiver 45. I'm just going to take him and see what happens. And that's worked out to start the year. His role, I also think fits really well with Gino, you know, you know, being able to play like that, that slot role. Uh, he's still getting, you know, downfield targets. His, his depth yes. of target is still strong, but you know, with Gino being as accurate as he's been and like 
listen, man, we've seen like Russ is a great quarterback, and but we've seen that the, the problems roll over with Russ on a new team and with new personnel and in a new system. Like it's still the Russell Wilson offense that that quick game stuff and the intermediate levels like just hasn't been there for Russ the past few years. That's not there now to start with the Broncos. And that that's been there for Lockett. I know. Days. Cause even, cause uh, you know, I'll ask you this in a second here after I make this, the, you know, you go back to week two when they still ran like a crummy number of plays and Geno Smith mm-hmm. wasn't good against the 49ers. Lockett was still good in that game mm-hmm. um, because he's still able to run those routes in that area of the field. And that's what I was going to ask you, you know, spinning the Seahawks forward is, you know, obviously a lot of people are going to look at, well, they played the Falcons and Lions. And you're telling me that you don't, I don't necessarily say to put words around and say you don't care, but you're saying like, no, like don't focus on the opponents that they played those two weeks, focus on the head coach coming out and making this claim, them implementing this change and then focus on that aspect of it in terms of, uh, you know, these guys being able to be viable the rest of the way. Yeah, that that's the way I'm looking at it. Um, because here's the other thing, like if, if, if we were looking at it, like, and this is why I like the context, like all these data points, you kind of got to pull them together to get the complete story. But like where you would just call like BS on something like that, um, you know, because it is a good point. And I understand why people are asking, right? When you play against two offenses or two defenses like that, you know, it's definitely going to help you. Um, but I, I immediately go and look at time of possession, right? So that's another thing. What you'll see a lot of times is you just get more time of possession when you play against, you know, another team that's really bad. And if I look at the Seahawks overall for this season, like they're checking all the boxes now, like their, their plays per minute are up. The time of possession is improving as well. Um, you know, we already talked about what they're doing with the play clock. You know, the points are also improving. We know the defense is bad. So yeah, I, where I get real hesitant around things like this is all of a sudden an offense has a big, huge game against a bad defense and they didn't change any of the other underlying things to, mm-hmm. to help them run more plays. It was just, yeah, they played a bad defense. Of course they ran more plays, Dwayne, like, you know, and that does happen. They're a game, honestly, going back to the Browns, that's what's going on. Like the Browns are dominating time of possession. They're the number one time of possession team in the league. Like, I'm sorry, like, it's not like, I know they have a good run game, but they're going to get in scripts that that's not going to work. They can't keep right. running. They're not going to be able to control the clock that way. I feel much better about Seattle's ability to sustain because of the change with how, you know, how often they're calling plays with so much time left on the clock. That, that is a schematic thing that coaches are doing. And it's something where we didn't see it go away. Despite the fact that they, you know, I know the, the, the lions kept making that game close and then, you know, Seattle would just pull away again. But like the old Pete Carroll would have just rested on his laurels. Like he would have got up by that 10 points, you know, and he would have just kind of sat back and been like, okay, let's see what the Lions can do. Mm-hmm. He didn't necessarily do that, even though he did run Penny more in the second half, which was fine. Like the pace didn't dissolve. Like he didn't completely revert into the, like, I'm going back into my shell. So I thought that was encouraging too. Yeah. There's one thing too about when you play bad defenses and that the defense lifting the tide of your offense and there's also another aspect of like destroying bad defenses and (laughs) 400 400 and uh you know 20 yards and 500 yards of offense like even if even if you were like play a bad defense because we'll see if the patriots do it this weekend against the lions but i'm gonna bet the patriots don't have 500 yards of offense against the lions (laughs) and that's what you look for right like when you play these bad matchups it's not like you don't want the matchup you don't want the to let, let the matchup leap forward, right? And like the matchup to ele- elevate a bad player, right? And just have him be usable. You want like good players to destroy bad yes. matchups. That's like what the, that's when matchups come into play, right? And that's, and for them to, to, to have 500 yards of offense and 400 
yards of offense going back the week before. Like those are encouraging signs. It's not like that they were in like the three hundreds and like made Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf usable. Like no, I mean, it, and especially last week, it's not that just DK Metcalf was usable, but all the guys were usable. You know, it's not yeah. like one guy got over. So very encouraging. And, and they're pa- and they're above the league expectation in every game script for pass rate, right? Whether they're whether they're trailing, whether they're in a close game within three points, or whether they're leading by four or more points, like they're still throwing the ball above the league average. So everything is marrying up, like for me. And so, like, yeah, I'm very bullish on Seattle. Um, like two weeks ago, I was like, hey, if you guys can go get D- DK Metcalf, like go. I I did it on the first data point when Pete Carroll said it, like now that I've seen the second and you know how this goes, Rich, we only get 17 weeks and you and I were pretty nerdy. Like I I'm sure we would both love to sit around and say, well, we got a 50 week season. We'll see 10 weeks of this before we act. You can't like, you have to act like once you get certain pieces of information and you're going to be wrong sometimes, but on you, you, you just kind of set it up. Like with what you talked about with really, you know, good players or just good players and bad matchups or in good matchups and how that elevates and like you want to act on that and you want to use that to propel. Well, the same thing when you get these sort of data points around people like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett that you know their talent profile is really good, right? So sometimes I'll see utilization around, like you could have made an argument two weeks ago, like people were all over Richie James. And I was like, eh, yeah, the utilization is good, but man, his historical talent profile tells me he can't earn targets. Like mm-hmm. I, I get it. He had a big Thursday night football game. I know, like folks, I get it. Like I know he had that huge game as a 49er, but everybody was all in. Like you see in Twitter, uh, you know, the play of the week is going to be, now he did get hurt, but Richie James is not a target earner. So like, yeah, great, fine. It was a matchup. He was going to be out there. Good. These are the kind of guys where when I see this information, like uh, I'm willing to take one or two data points and run with it. And I think that's what we have to do with Metcalf and Lockett. I love that. And, uh, you know, I've told a lot of people listening to the show know that my son is a, a Giants fan and he already two days ago sent me the YouTube video of Richie James playing the pack. He is the Packers on Thursday night football. And he said, this is the last time dad, Richie James played the Packers. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking it's going to be go down in London, but uh, yeah, you know, fun, fun times. Uh, one of those guys that had like one of those like key data points two weeks ago in terms of usage was Josh Jacobs. And then last week blew the doors off the, the utilization again uh josh jacobs is he now someone that should be handled as basically a weekly rb1 moving forward you know so i i moved him to high-end rb2 like i usually phase these things but he is a good enough player that i i mean i'm acting in a big way right i had him as a high-end rb3 to start the season because we were worried about this rotation with three backs and that kind of played out in the first couple of games but not to the level we thought it would because he was still getting all the rushing attempts. Like that's been there since the get right. 77%, 83%, 76%. And even last week, 80% of the rushing attempts. So you'll see profiles like that where Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, they're on a good offense. They're getting the majority game scripts. Haven't necessarily worked out. They've been more of a pass heavy team, but in their neutral scripts, like they're not showing, like they're just going to be like pedal to the metal, probably going to be some better games come along where he's going to be usable. But man, in the last two weeks, the real thing is, well, really, uh, starting in week two, he picked up 44% of the two-minute offense. The next week, he followed that up with another 40%. And in week two, we had Brandon Bolden out. So you didn't know. You're like, okay, well, Bolden was out, so maybe maybe he got his role. He held that in week three. And then last week, man, 100% of the two-minute offense went to Josh Jacobs. That is something different for Josh Jacobs. That is something different for Josh McDaniels, who historically has always used three backs. So is there a chance they're going to go back to it? 
they could, but I think the fact that Amir Abdullah has been a complete non-factor, Brandon Bolin is really more of a special teamer. Zamir White is probably more the the backup to Josh Jacobs. Hey, there's a takeaway. Zamir White has been dumped in a lot of places. And if mm-hmm. they don't care that much about Brandon Bolden and they don't think Amir Abdullah is that great, it does not a guarantee that he's going to get this role Josh Jacobs has. But I think being the handcuff to Josh Jacobs, suddenly like there's a wider range of outcomes on what that is, right? So mm-hmm. like there's, there's a name for you. Zamir White shouldn't be on wires in deep leagues. And I saw him get dropped a bunch in the FFPC. Um, I'm actually on a team where he where you know I have a cone or, and we dropped him. We had to make a really tough call last week like i'm definitely going to go back to the waiver wire on sunday morning and try to scoop that scoop zamir white back up for like two bucks um but looking at jacobs man i if he gets another week like this rich i don't even think we can call him a low-end rb1 anymore i think at that point you're like this is a mid-range rb1 and i there's things i just like about this offense i know the raiders don't have a great they don't have a great record right now and a lot of times when people hear you talk about a team like man why is he you know the raiders they're you know they're one and three they suck there's a lot of things to like about the raiders mm-hmm. they're number 10 in scoring um you know they're a, they're at least they're the, league average. the league average lead and percentage of drives to reach the red zone yeah dude like they're yeah they they just haven't been able to convert everything mm-hmm. to your point but they're not great in any of these categories, but plays per minute is at 16th. That's good enough. They're uh, 15th in time of possession. Um, they're you're, they're a team that's got plenty of weapons. We know we've got Devontae Adams. you got Darren Waller. going to get Hunter Renfro back. Then if you sprinkle in Mac Hollins as a nice add-on to all of that, and now Josh Jacobs is coming around, like this is an offense that can score a lot of points. So I like the player skill set. I love the utilization, and I really like the environment that he's playing in. And, and the passing down role is the huge part, though, right? Because if you play in that division, you're going to get into some games where you're going to trail the whole time, you know. And and the Raiders, you know, it's not terrible. They've trailed. And when I say trailing, it's, uh, you know, I exclude overtime, the two-minute stuff. But they're 13th in the league trailing four or more points, you know, that the percentage of plays, 46. So it's not terrible. It's not like they've just been losing. Um, they just haven't had a lead that often. They're 18th in, in um, plays with a lead. So, I really like Josh Jacobs. I think this offense is going to be better. Um, I would still, I would, what I call Josh Jacobs is a buy high, right? He's a buy high because recency bias. Like he just had a huge game. Whoever you go to and you try to buy, like they're going to be like, wow, I got Josh Jacobs. And, and you know, you talked about how bad the waiver wire looks. If for some reason he was on their bench and now they're putting him in at RB2, like they're going to be elated. Um, but I, I, I would be aggressive in trying to get him. I, what, what are your thoughts? I so I had someone I'm going to ask you this. I had someone send me this theoretical trade, and it was Aaron Jones for Josh Jacobs. I wouldn't take it. Yeah, that's what I. I wouldn't yeah, take that, it right now, man. The yeah, upside is too high. Jake, yep. Jacobs, we know now, could be an every down back, and I don't care about the other guys that are on his team. They're not good. Yeah, I mean, Aaron we have Jones to, still has AJ Dillon. It's not yeah. going away. We have to throw out, you know, the the draft cost of these players. We just have mm-hmm. to, at this point, we have to throw it out the window and think about where they are right now. And I actually appreciate that Aaron Jones gamer trying to go up, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You, you know, uh, understanding what they have, as good as Aaron Jones is as a player and a talent that we know he is, but understanding the utilization Aaron Jones has versus Josh He needs Jacobs. an injury. A.J. Dillon has to get hurt. He's not going away ever. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like and the Packers but, are they're slow and we're not seeing uh, this. God, and, yeah. And a lot of people that were so hell bent on elevating the seven game sample spread over three years of Aaron Jones catching football passes out Dante Adams on the field, like 
this isn't the same offense in terms of pass volume either. It's just not, it's everything is different. Um, I never went down that road. I mean, not clearly Aaron Jones, if you've watched the Packers this year, he's by far their best football player on offense. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 I, I'm honestly kind of surprised that they're not using him more in the passing game. Like, I mean, he's getting used. He's, he is the passing down back. Like yes. AJ Dillon is getting targets, but it's on early downs, you know? So mm-hmm. early down targets to running backs typically mean receivers are not open and it's a check down, you know, Aaron Jones is integrated into the passing game. So a lot of times with, with running backs that are integrated into the passing game, like you'll see them get the first read a lot more because they're running routes down the field. They're running like angle routes against linebackers, bullet routes. You know, their ADOT is almost always positive. Like it'll be like a two or a three instead of most running backs that you see with like that negative one or two. What that usually means is quarterback drops back, covered, covered. Oh crap, blitz, boom, check it down. Like that, so AJ Dillon is getting targets, but more by the nature of the Packers, um, you know, receivers are starting to come around a little bit now, but they have been struggling. And so Aaron Rodgers was having to get it, you know, to A.J. Dillon, whereas he's not really he's not ingrained into their passing offense. If you look at the routes he's running, it was more out of necessity. Aaron Jones is integrated. So I still think there's a chance that he ends up catching more balls as we go. But when I look at that backfield versus what you get with the Raiders and honestly, if I had to pick between the two offenses, I'm picking the Raiders offense, too. I think that offense has the higher ceiling. I think Jacobs has the higher utilization ceiling. It, Aaron Jones, I like better as a player. Like if mm-hmm. if AJ Dillon went down tomorrow, even with the Packers issues as far as volume goes, we'd probably re- we would put Aaron Jones back ahead of Jacobs. But I think it you have to have an injury. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I thought that that was a great you know inflection point where we are this season though. You know between those two players, I thought that was just tremendous. Kind uh, of work through that. Let's let's move on to we had our first game with Zach Wilson coming back with the Jets last week and you know for three quarters of that game it looked like last year Zach Wilson uh we got we got a nice little flurry there in the fourth quarter where some things started to come together and we're not going to talk about Zach Wilson and the, and the merits of Zach Wilson <laughs> but uh we know that the Jets have a lot of players we like we like Garrett Wilson we like Elijah Moore we like the role that Brees Hall is working himself into uh, talk to me about the utilization of the Jets offense and kind of how you are viewing handling these players, you know, big picture for the remainder of the season. So Brees Hall, um, his utilization itself, like if you just isolate to utilization, it's already low end RB one, like what it was in week four, he had 66% of the snaps, 65% of the rushing attempts, 59% route participation. So 65% is like where you're getting to the elite territory. When you get to 60%, you're really good. Like 65% and above, you're talking about Alvin Kamara. You get to 70% above, you're talking about Christian McCaffrey's of the world, the David Johnson's back in the day, Le'Veon Bell used to get like some numbers like that. So everything's based right on these historical, like looking at this data and going back and saying, what does this mean? Like when running backs get like this sort of usage, He's right there on the cusp of what he's seeing. And people hear like the 65% snaps. And I think sometimes they get confused. They like, they want to hear 80%. Like folks, there's only like one or two backs every year. that get to that number this year. We've, we've got three, we had like four or five, but you've already seen two, like tone it down. Like Leonard Fournette, which we'll talk about in a minute. Like he's not doing as much, but it's like CMC and Saquon. Like, like those are the two that are out there for everything, you know, then you get your next group of guys, you know, and it's not a big group. It's not as big as what most people think of guys that are getting, you know, somewhere between 65 and 60% of the snaps on a team. That's still a really, really good number, especially if you're getting the passing down work, which he is. And then the next thing over the last two games, rich 75% 
and 100% of the short down and distance work, which usually equates to what? The carries inside the five. Last week, we saw the two marry up. He got 100% of the carries inside the five. Now, he did fumble, but he got it across, right? So long down and distance. Obvious passing down in the NFL, NFL, third and fourth downs with seven or more yards to go. It's usually man coverage, and guess what? It's usually a blitz. He's been out there the last two games, 81% and 71%. So this goes back to what we were talking about earlier for rookies. That is the hardest down to see them take over. They're more likely to take over the two-minute offense, honestly, because a lot of times the backs are just quickly getting into the route and defenses are not blitzing against the two-minute offense. They're just dropping into – they're playing bills. They want you to dump it off. (laughs) They want you to dump it off. So (laughs) to see him get the long down and distance, that is a huge vote of confidence. And to take it over – from someone that was actually really good in that area last year, Michael Carter. And so he's overcome a talent profile that was pretty good, even though it didn't have good draft capital. The coaches are trusting him in an obvious man coverage blitz situation where you've got to protect a young quarterback you don't want to get hurt again, who also takes a long time to throw the ball. Zach Wilson is not a quick time to throw guy. Um, So I see all those things add up. And then the two-minute offense, that's where he's sharing a little bit still with with Carter, but he had 63% and 50% over the last two weeks. And in week one, he had 100% of that. So he still gets the edge in the two-minute offense. So this is a talent profile that we loved coming out, like was just smashing all the metrics we want, all the college production stuff we wanted to see, dual-threat guy. And now to see by week four this happening, like, oh, my God. And, like, he hasn't popped yet, Rich. Like, yeah, no. he's 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 your RB16 based off of just kind of being okay. Like 12.1, 13, 15.2, 15.8 PPR points, 14 point average. There's a monster game coming here. Like there's a 25, 30 pointer. Like it's brewing. Like it's going to be there. I've, I've got him as a high end RB2 the rest of the way. I didn't move him into RB. I, he's moved up every week. I didn't move him into RB1 yet just because Carter is still a decent player. Like, and he's on the field for 40% of the snaps. They're getting out there together quite a bit. You know, we hear all this talk all the time. We're going to get the two guys out there together. These two guys actually do have the skill set that you could play them on the field at the same time because they can work together on passing downs. Um, and so Carter, he's not necessarily – that 40% is a little higher than what it should sound. Like, it's really – in a traditional offense, like a traditional player, like Carter would probably be 30%. But because he's good in the passing game, they get him on the field some together. Um, but Carter is good enough, like just to make me be like, I don't want to get all the way in, but I still feel like Brees Hall is where his fantasy points are. People are probably feel fine about him, but you, I would go buy, even if it meant buying high, like I want to get all my chips in the middle on Brees Hall, um, as soon as possible. Yeah. I have a terrible run out in my, my, my favorite home league. It's 18 years going. My, uh, no one cares about, you know, my league stories, but I'm still going to tell it. Uh, but yeah, we, it's a keeper league and a contract league. And my keepers were Dak Prescott, Trey Lance and Jonathan Taylor. Uh, so mm, it has not gone well for your boy in that out. league. <laughs> so Jonathan Taylor is an expiring contract this year. And I, I flipped him this week for Brees Hall straight up who can be kept and given a contract, obviously. So I, oh. I'm already are, are aggressively playing it to where like, I might not be in the, in the running this year and wanted to grab him before he popped. Um, I love it. Garrett yeah. Wilson's the other guy there. He did jump into an 86% mm-hmm. route participation like this last week. We'd seen him really behind. Now he had a rib injury in week three that probably limited him a little bit after his huge week one, but still leads that team in targets per route run 24%. So I really like Garrett Wilson too. you know, got the high round draft capital and he's just a fun player to watch. Like when I watch, when I watch Garrett Wilson, you know what I think, Rich, I think, wow. So this is what it should look like if, if Kadarius Tony would have ever stayed healthy, like, and stayed out of the coaching doghouse, like just very, 
a very electric player. So quick in space. You see him turning DBs around, um, especially out of the slot. Um, and then what he does with it after the catch. He's just so lightning quick. Like he's one of these players that you're playing professional sports. And there's these moments where you're like, wow, like he just looks so much faster than everyone else. Mm-hmm. He looks so much quicker than everyone else. Um, I think it hurts a little bit with Flacco out because I think they're trying to be a little bit more balanced offense. But Zach Wilson showed maybe enough in the second half last week that maybe, maybe, maybe we can sustain here. Um, I was worried they were going to f- totally shell up and just go run heavy. And they showed enough in the second half last week that kind of keeps me open like to, to the fact that this, this offense – and this is the year, man. This is the year of uh, of receivers on teams with bad quarterbacks, and we're almost just like, well, besides Baker Mayfield and DJ Moore, <laughs> where we're yeah. just like, well, I guess it doesn't matter. Like, you just it doesn't matter. Like these these all the rookie receivers. It's not like any of them were in great great situations. Like Drake London, Alave, you could argue always had the YOLO option, you know, with, uh, with Jameis you know, yeah. when he's healthy. But I mean, a lot of these guys are kind of overcoming not great offensive situations to still put up fantasy points. Yeah, I Olave was my favorite rookie coming into the year because of that just situation for this year. But we mm-hmm. saw it reflected, especially after the two years we had with Justin Jefferson and uh, Jamar Chase popping. Everyone was still kind of hesitant on this rookie class. I think there's the the inflection of where these guys landed. Uh, you know, Drake London was the first guy being drafted at like wider, like back end wide receiver three areas, and that's kind of like then it started like the snowball of like when you'd see these guys go off the board. Uh, you already mentioned that you're still believing in Elijah Moore. You can try to sell the people on that. But then also tell me like, do you believe in this offense making it so all three of these guys that we just talked about and are excited about from a talent perspective are going to be consistently good? Yeah, I think, it, you know, the offensive environment definitely has, has questions, but I think, you know, just what we've learned already in the first few weeks, just reapply those learnings to now and, and thinking forward, right? And remember, this is the same thing pe- with, that we did with last year. People did with Jalen Waddell. Well, we don't really like the quarterbacks to uh, they got, you know, Devontae Parker and Will Fuller. He's not going to get any targets, Dwayne. I'm like, I don't care. Like he was taken in the top 10 of the NFL draft. Really good player coming out of Alabama. I'm taking him in round nine of every draft last year, right? We did it again to Jalen Waddle this year. He was awesome. Tyreek Hill gets there and he gets pushed down in the fourth and fifth round of drafts. Like, this is the same thing. This is this is Garrett Wilson. This is Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore had the same yards per route run last year, 1.75, as Jalen Waddle in his rookie season. Crushed the PFF receiving grade metric that we want to see. That's basically mm-hmm. a who's who's list. Um, it's been a bad run through the first few weeks. Like, I don't believe a player like Elijah Moore suddenly just becomes untalented after what we saw. Like, just go look at like that seven week stretch last year, folks, like of what Elijah Moore did before he hurt his quad again. Like, it was really good. He gave you three weeks where he was in the top 10. And in the other weeks, like he was still like almost always in the top 36. I think he had one dud mixed in there, but it sometimes just happens. You know, I don't believe that Elijah Moore suddenly woke up on week one of this season and thought, I'm not good at football anymore. I still think he's really good. I still think he can demand targets. I think he and Garrett Wilson can coexist. I think the question is like Corey Davis. But Corey Davis, I think we've seen long enough to know, like, yeah, he'll have these games. Mm -hmm. He was an early round pick as well, but he's just never turned into a target demander. Like, I still think Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore are the guys. Uh, I think the question about the offense is valid. But again, like we're seeing too many of these players that are talented continuing to break out, even though their offenses are not great. We just need we just need Zach Wilson, like I mentioned earlier with Gino. He just if we can get him to not be terrible, if we can get him to not be terrible. And you saw that with Joe Flacco. Like Joe Flacco's not a he's not a good quarterback, like at this point in his career, but he was good enough like to come out there 
and make Garrett Wilson look really great because they were throwing some, they were dropping back to pass so much. So I think it can still be fine. I, I want to bet on the talent, especially for how low, I mean, people like talk about low, like I get DMS every week about oh, Elijah Moore. Can I just mm-hmm. drop him? Like people just seeking permission. Oh yeah. They, they're going to have to find someone else. Cause I can't give it to them. <laughs> I, I will ask them. Who's it for? Like, I'll say like, well, who are you looking at? Like, if they tell me, if they told me Garrett Wilson, I was like, yeah, fine, go ahead and do it. Like Garrett Wilson's already broken out. So fine. You know, that's, that's okay. Uh, you know, if it was for a lave, like after week two, yeah, fine, go ahead and take a lave. But right now, like that stuff's all gone in most leagues. So what are you dropping Elijah Moore for? Like, is my question. Yeah, Mike Boone. Yeah, I would never do that. I would <laughs> never do it. Uh, yeah, if, if I could make one thing happen, well, I guess there would be other things that make happen ahead of this. But uh, <laughs> one of the things that I would I would wish is if we could get Corey Davis to the Rams, uh, and then because he'd oh, free yeah. up this, like you know, then he'd he'd solve some of their problems with, with three wide stuff because uh, they're still living in three wide bad receivers. But it would because Corey Davis is a good enough football player to where he impacts the surrounding players in this yeah. offense but is it good enough to like kind of be his own thing tyler conklin's <laughs> the damn wild card here like that dude's drawing 15 to 20 percent target shares that's the thing i didn't see coming oh fourth you quarter know? tyler conklin yeah you always yes. get worried about uh, when the fourth quarter comes rolling around with yeah, tyler well again go to shell coverage who's <laughs> running that little four-yard drag tyler yep. conklin yeah, uh, coming into last week, I think he was he led the NFL in catches in the fourth quarter. I have to see if that still holds or not. But garbage <laughs> time. Yep, just killing it with Flacco when he's winging it, winging it down there. But uh, you brought up Leonard Fournette, and uh, yeah. I think his what happened Sunday night is very interesting um, because it's one of those things that the coaches did kind of talk about happening. And I've seen some people kind of bring up that like, oh, well, Rashad White came in the game when they were already down three scores. Maybe it was just uh, you know, whatever, it, you know. But uh, Leonard Fournette, up until that point, basically the the linchpin, the calling card for Leonard Fournette was like, this dude's just not coming off the field, uh, you know, at all. Um, Because this team can't run the football. I've talked about it a few times uh, over the course of the opening few weeks here. And it's a small sample still. But where we've seen the offensive line issues for the Buccaneers really show up is the run game. Because Brady's still going to get the rock out. Like, you're not going to get the Brady. Uh, Even with a bad offensive line, he's going to get it out. Uh, but this team has not run the football at all, like to start the year effectively. And we saw Leonard Fournette just was living on these like huge snap shares. And like he got there last week of the reception because he still does have a key role. But we started to see them mix in Rashad White for the first time this season. Is this something you anticipate that's going to like grow, stay stagnant, or well, even just staying the same matters? But uh, what do you uh, think about Rashad White getting on the field last week? Yeah, I think it stays the same or it's it could be slightly less with a little bit less of a game strip where they're where they're trailing so much. So like the Bucks last week trailed by four or more points, 100% of their snaps on offense. So they dropped back to pass 89, yes. 88% of the time. Um so that's a factor, but before, you know, and and yeah, they got down pretty quickly, so it makes it kind of tough. Because of Rashad White? Yeah, 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 because of the fumble. Yeah, isn't it funny? Rashad White was like, I'm going to get myself some utilization, y'all. Uh, so it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky scenario, but when I look at it, like he, he, was, he was on the field on the second drive, and he was on the field on the third drive. He was on the field on the fourth drive. This isn't like, you know, it was halftime. This isn't like it was, this, like it was the second quarter. Rashad White started working in on the second drive and essentially his utilization stayed stagnant from there on, like how much they were using him. It's not like it all of a sudden peaked at the end of the game. 
They were using him in all the different situations. He got to play some of the two-minute offense, 27%, still clearly Lenny leading the way, 14% of the long down and distance snaps. Remember, that's important because, you know, if you, especially with Brady, like if you can't pick up a blitz, you're not on the field. Like he does not trust you. Like we've seen Brady personally just doghouse guys. Like he will put you in the doghouse. So I thought that was a positive thing. Um, so I, I think it, Rashad White, like if you're listening to this and he's on your waiver wire, like he shouldn't be pretty much in any league at this point. If you're an eight teamer and it's, you know it's, you don't have big benches, I understand. Like you've, you've probably got a loaded roster anyway. If you're playing in a 10 teamer with a decent bench size or like you play two flex, something like that. Once you get to 12 teams, like he shouldn't be on the wire. Um, essentially last week, like the tweet I put out yesterday, like in the spirit of Halloween, like is, you know, Rashad White turned into Tony Pollard in week four. Like if you go look at their mm-hmm. utilization, it's the same 40% of the snaps, 40% of the rushing attempts, 35, 40%, you know, route participation, you know, eight, 10% target share. Like it's it. like, if you were, if you saw Tony Pollard dropped in your league today, what would you do? You would drop everything and you would go pick up Tony Pollard. So I would treat Rashad white the same way. The bucks offense is only going to continue to improve as they get healthy. They've got Godwin back. He may not be a hundred percent, but it's still better than not having Godwin. Julio stays dinged up. Russell Gage, you know, has always got the hamstring. Evidently, they're just going to leave that on the injury report like all year that (laughs) Russell Gage has a hamstring issue. Uh, Keep teasing me. Maybe Russell Gage is going to get better. He's going to be healthy. Uh, So I just think as the Bucs get healthy, they're going to give more scoring opportunities. If you have a guy like White, there's a chance in bye weeks he gives you some standalone value. But the big thing still is if something happens to Fournette, who's still got a sizable workload, like, Man, like he can win your league. Rashad White can win your league. That's the difference. Like I have some of the, I was chatting with somebody yesterday on Twitter. I treat Kenneth Walker the same way. Now that Seattle's, you know, with Travis Homer gone, like they weren't really using DJ, you know, Dallas in that passing down role, like which was kind of just a super big pain. You're like, man, come on. Like, can we just get this backfield to two players? You've drafted one of these guys in the first round. You drafted the other one basically in the first round with an early second round pick. Can they not just be the two Seattle backs on the field? Like for Christ's sake, Pete. Um, you know, and so we've seen that those two guys, man, Kenneth Walker, Rashad White, like I'm, I was, I was going after them in any kind of league where they were available, which was very few of the ones I play in. Um, like I put them over Tyler Algier. I was taking them over Mike oh, yeah. Boone. I, I did not blink like, because those guys might, might get me eight to 10 points on a bye week and maybe that helps me, but I'm not winning a league because I rostered Mike Boone most likely. Right. I'm yeah. not likely winning or a Tyler league Algier. because I rostered Tyler Algier when CPAT <laughs> we know is hurt, but going to be back. Rashad White, you know, Kenneth Walker and the new Seattle offense, like they could win your league for you. So I think, you know, it might be closer, Rich, to like 30, 35% snap share. But I think it is here to stay because you mentioned another important part and we talked about with Seattle. The coaches told us, they said they were going to do this, that they did not want to wear out Fournette. If you're the Fournette, uh, you know, manager, you're still okay. You're, you just need the Bucks' offense to play better. Remember, last year with Leonard Fournette, like he had multiple games where he was just around 65, 70% of the work and he still dominated. I mean, he was scoring 18 fantasy mm-hmm. points a game in a lot of those games. And what did we see this week? 18. And he's still the primary guy out there on passing downs. What's interesting is Rashad White, the biggest way it hit Fournette is his, his rushing attempts dropped to 43%. And that's the part could be a little fluky. They didn't have very many rushing attempts on the game. So you're not dividing yeah. up very much. <laughs> so you always got to be careful like because it's that really small sample size there. Um, so I, I think Rashad White should definitely be on rosters. I do think this sticks. I don't know that it's quite 40% every week. I think maybe more like a... 65 35 70 30 but i don't know that that's bad for Fournette, man i think we've kind of seen with some of these guys if you're out there 90 percent all the time 
that's a lot. It's a lot to ask a running back to take on over the full course of a year. Yeah, absolutely. One guy that I did not get really in any league um, is Devin Singletary. And, you know, I kind of looked at it coming in as like, he's never been good sharing any type of workload, but the bills have already shown us four weeks into the season that when it hits the fan, like Devin Singletary is their guy. We saw it in week three when Miami was just sending blitz after blitz in the first half. And they're like, we've got, we, we don't trust anyone else in this situation. We've got to just put them on the field. And then last week, uh, they fall down early in the game and he just dominates snaps again. So the Bills have shown us that the guy that they trust in the foxhole situations is Devin Singletary. As gamers, do we need to just follow suit? I think we have to. I think Devin Singletary shows up in the huddle and he's like, I'm still standing. Like he's probably got like Elton John going, like, you can't get rid of this guy. Like he's still there. Nope. Um, you know, we were all excited about James Cook, me included. Um, uh, and that's the archetype we like, right? Passing down back, pass heavy offense, explosive playmaker, doesn't matter. Like he's not getting on the field. Um, to your point, Devin Singletary is like completely locked down this backfield. 87% of the snaps last week. I mean, come on, in the top passing offense in the league. And then targets 18 and 16 percent over the last two games that's the big thing to me rich if he's going to now be involved in the passing game he was pff's lowest graded receiver last year with uh running backs that ran at least 200 routes and so that really kind of put me off of him i'm yes. like you i did not get any of him and i thought that paired with the, how heavy they went out for a not and it wasn't just james cook it was the fact that they went after mckissick they had even been on chase edmonds before that mm -hmm. i was like man the bills have a plan here they don't and i think they still may wish that devin singletary wasn't the guy on the field and passing downs but he's the one that they feel to you said it they can trust and so he's on the field um, I got him as my RB 15 this week. Like they're 14 point favorites. And I looked over at uh fantasy pros consensus rankings for PPR. Devin Singletary is RB 26. Like, come on people. Like you can't put him that low. Like it's, he gets the short down and distance work. He's got, he's got 86 and 88% of the short down and distance work over the last two weeks. Now, Josh Allen has touched, has punched in the touchdowns, but people get in my mentions are like, man, he can only score if he breaks long runs. I'm like, guys, you notice he's on the field down there. Like, they're not going to do this to Josh Allen all year. Yes, Josh Allen will be a nuisance. Like, I, I'll tell you right now, Devin Singletary is scoring a rushing touchdown this weekend. Like, it's going to happen. Put it on the he's board. Scoring, he's scoring a rushing touchdown. He's going to catch passes. And I want to get your thoughts on this, Rich, because when you look at the Bills, you know, receivers beyond Stefan Diggs, as much as, like, you know, the hype around Gabriel Davis was there, he's dealing with the ankle, whatever, let's set all that aside. Like, we still don't know if Gabriel Davis can earn targets at a high rate. He could still yeah. be good in fantasy because they pass so much and Josh Allen is good, so he can come through with his boom weeks. So, folks, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, Gabriel Davis is still a high-end wide receiver three, even if he doesn't get better. That was always my stance on him. And, mm -hmm. and if he got better, then, wow, like, the ceiling like was to the moon, but his profile historically – with the target earning ability is not in the thing, all the underlyings around him. It was really like the comps were not good. Now you can, always, someone will always break a trend. Um, but my concern is like Gabe Davis doesn't really earn targets and Dawson Knox, as much as people love him, he does not earn targets either. And if that's the case, like I, this target share stuff could really stick with Singletary. And if it does and an offense that throws as much as they do, like that's the part that gets me the most excited about Singletary. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, when the initial uh, the off season began, 
thought that the Bills were still going to be in the mix of adding a wide receiver. That was part of like always like the Gabe Davis corollary. It's like, well, when they get in the draft, like they're still probably going to throw a bullet. And they did a late, later round guy on Khalil Shakur, who we might see, you know, path to play in the slot role, but he's a pure slot guy. I think a lot of people were still anticipating them to add another guy that can compete for boundary targets in case Gabe Davis still continued to not accrue targets on his own. And that's Jake, kind Jake of Numero his, doesn't count. Yeah, he doesn't, man. Unfortunately <laughs> not. Um, Cause the, the bills have been an interesting team to start the year. Me and Dan talked about this on our matchup show. Uh, you know, if you look at Josh Allen, you know, his, his dot is way down. His, his rate of deep throws are way down. Uh, and it, as a byproduct of, you know, one Gabe Davis, you know, playing hurt, but also like outside of Stefan Diggs, they don't have anyone that commands targets like in that area of the field, you know, that you had guys like Emmanuel Sanders and John Brown, uh, on the field with Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis was still getting peppered in, you know, over those course of the two seasons. And now you look at the after Stephon Diggs, it's Devin Singletary, uh, second on the team in target with with Isaiah McKenzie. And like those guys are low A dot players. Like so like it's gonna when you where the targets go is gonna inflect on your A dot and that's what's happened so far. But it absolutely can say because who's gonna come? Like who who are the Bills adding to come collect downfield targets? I mean Gabe Davis can collect some more, but he, like you said, he's not shown to be like this guy that's going to push, like getting targeted on 20% of his routes. Just that's not who he's been so far in the NFL. He's a big play guy. Uh, the the targets he does get are, are typically like front read plays. Either the play was initially designed for him, like the touchdown he had against the Rams, or it's like a deep shot play. Like we saw him against the Rams where he's the initial read. And if that reads there, he's going to get the Allen's going to put it up in the air. Um, but typically the way defenses are playing, right? Which the bills mm-hmm. have basically set the pattern. Like yep. there's just less of these players coming through that yes. his, his style, his arc, this archetype because, of player. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's tough, getting, it's, it's tougher to win in the NFL at that, that way. And, uh, we're seeing it with the utilization of how the Rams are trying to use Allen Robinson and the way teams are defending <laughs> them. Like, I mean, listen, I'm not going to try to defend what's going on on Robinson, but the dude's running two routes right now. He's just running uh, hitches and goes. Like, and all he's running, running routes, is yeah. he's running hitches yeah. and goes. That's all he's doing in the offense. And that's kind of what Gabe Davis does. And Like, if teams are going to play like they are against the Bills, you're going to play and you're going to sit in cover two and you're going to sit in quarters a lot. Like, you're not going to – unless you start scheming stuff up, like, by – by just byproduct of the offense, like that, those routes are just not going to be what is going to. So maybe be it's there. Isaiah McKenzie. We need, we got to run, we got to run the smash route. You know where Gabe yeah. Davis is outside. You run the hitch, and then you get the corner route right out of yep. uh, Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, yeah, man, it's uh, like that's I. But I think this is good for you know Devin Singletary. So I think you know, can he hang on to this all year? You know, can James Cook carve out more of a role? Zach Moss, I'm not worried about. Like we've seen yeah. it long enough. But maybe James Cook could carve out a little bit work later in the season, but he's clearly not ready right now um, because they're not using him that way. No, and he's had some shots. They peppered him in. Obviously, is a bummer. He starts the season off the fumble, but they yeah. bring him in last week too, and they run a design play for him. And he, he dropped the ball. Uh, you know, again, just you know, you just need to get yeah. some confidence. He just needs get some confidence instilled in him uh, and get going. Staying in that same game. Uh, we're going to have Kenny Pickett making his first career start, you know, on the road in Buffalo instead of when they could have started him at home against the Jets after 10 days of rest. Uh, but, you know, we saw Kenny Pickett come into the game last week, and it was not the Kenny Pickett we saw in the preseason. Like, he was throwing the ball downfield. I mean, uh, Zadot was just about 13 yards. It was tops in the league. And in the preseason, like, he was – this does not what he was doing. He was all dump-offs, everything shallow. Um we saw George Pickens kind of run the diverse route tree for the first time this season. Uh, is, is Kenny Pickett going to bring in some life? Because we talked about Zach Wilson, the Jets, like the, the 
the surrounding pieces here we like. In the Pittsburgh offense, like we like these players. Is yeah. is there some is there some hope here the rest of the season now? Well, I think there has to be hope because Mitch Trubisky just wasn't playing well. Like so, it, it like my answer is it can't be worse. Do I know for <laughs> sure what it's going to be? I can't. Like it's funny, uh, Kenny Pickett with all of his picks last week. None of them were turnover-worthy plays by PFF, so that means they were not his fault. <laughs> so there's a positive there, like with the turnovers that uh, you know they weren't really on him. So uh, you know I don't know for sure what's going to happen. Like you know we've he's still a rookie quarterback now. Rookie quarterbacks, the track record has definitely improved right over the last ten years of what we can expect. Heck, even going back to like Matt Ryan and guys like that, they started to kind of break the mold of what you could get out of a rookie quarterback, um, at least for supporting your weapons. Not all of them end up turning into, you know, players that you want to be, you know, running out on your fantasy in your fantasy lineups, unless it's like a super flex, but it's, I'm just going to kind of, I'm like, let's wait and see. I don't have enough data on it. I was very excited for Pickens. He's a guy that I've remained ahead of consensus in my rankings, just because again, talent profile on the field enough. Like if you've got the talent profile and you're on the field enough, like, dude, I'm, I'm going to rank you ahead of Nelson Aguilar. Like, I'm not going there. I'm not going to rank Nelson Aguilar ahead of you. Like, and so it's like, I would see all these guys ahead of him. Like when I would look at the industry ranks and I'm like, come on, man. Like George Pickens could still like pop in a really big way. And the other thing I think about is I know a lot of times when people are looking at rankings, they're not just making a decision for the weeks. They may be making a decision about who they're picking up. So mm-hmm. I like to elevate like some of those players, you know, especially like you'll, you'll always find Elijah Moore, um, George Pickens, all those kind of players, I probably rank higher than a lot of other people. Um, I I also don't play the ranking game, so I'm not trying to like score like the most accurate score. Right. Which which there's nothing against that. I just I'm trying to bring a different kind of value right to my reader um, in the way that you know they're thinking about fantasy football, not just for the week. Um, so there's definitely value right in those kind of rankings and projections and things. But yeah, so Kenny Pickett is a guy that I've you know looking at him. You know, I think it could possibly be something good for Pickens. I think the sample size is kind of small to know for sure. Um, I didn't go back. I meant to. I've been so busy this week. I wanted to go back and look at the coverages that were being ran because that can also be a dictator, right? I don't know what the Jets were running. If they were running like a lot of single high stuff and rotating towards Deontay or whatever, then the read's going to tell you, like, you just got to go. You got to go to Pickens, you know, in that situation. Um, but if it was something where maybe it was a little bit more of a complex coverage and he was still pushing the ball down the field to Pickens in those scenarios, because it's not like the game was complete, the game was close. Um, that would probably get me a little bit more excited, but again, would be a small sample. Yeah. You know, looking at the Steelers offense too, uh, I talked about Zaman Harmon a little bit. Uh, I pulled up the, you know, if you look at all players this season, have run 50 or more pass routes and you just look at their routes, not targets that are, the routes run or 20 or more yards downfield. The top four players are all Steelers. Like what, what is this offense? Uh, it's, it's Pat Fryer with Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool and George, uh, George Pickens. They are the top sh- four players. And we've tried to support Matt Canada. Like we, we've, we've oh, tried. Dude, like, it's like, hard. like I, yeah, I don't think we can anymore. I don't think it's, we can. Like I even gave him a pass really with Ben. Cause I was like, man, he can't do what he wants to do in his scheme with Ben. Cause Ben didn't, Ben didn't want to go under center. And I get it. You honestly, you see this a lot of old quarterbacks. They don't want to go under center. Honestly, I, if I were the Broncos, I'd stop putting Russ Wilson under center. I would just stop. Yep. I would actually go to, I would go to full shotgun all the time. I would go back to what, when Russ was at his best, what was he doing? You're letting him see the field early. Don't turn his back to it. I know play action. Look, a play action target in a PPR league is worth 18% more than a non-play action target. So there's definite value in scheming 
running play action. But if it's something that's not the right fit for your quarterback for whatever reason, and we've seen this, Derek Carr fits that mold. Derek Carr's just never been good at play action. Like, so, like, uh, you go look at his, you know, EPA, everything. It goes down when you give him play action. So some quarterbacks, for whatever reason, they're just better. Like, Brady doesn't really want to run that much play action either. Like, he'll do it. They'll get under center and run some of it. But as he's gotten older, he doesn't want to. Ben didn't want to. Matt Ryan, at the end of his career, he sucks at play action, which always made the fit weird in Indy because I'm like, you got this great running game. I would, like, want somebody that can move around, run the play action game, but whatever. So that's where I would be with Russ. I know that's not the topic. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, real quick, pulling up the the coverage from the second half of that game last week with Kenny Pickett. The game, the Jets, uh, they were only in man thirty percent of the time. They they were in, they were in quarters, or we call it Fangio defense cover quarters and cover yeah. six. Fifty five percent of the time on Kenny Pickett's dropbacks. So for him to, to have an eight yeah. that high, to have an eight Penny, that and, high, unless they were all against the single man, like you'd have to look. Yeah, but yeah, like that's. <laughs> If he's throwing at if he's throwing at cover six now, you know, cover four, the backside of cover four turns into man to man, like depending yes. on the design concept. If it's match, so, yeah. If it's match. Yeah, yeah, if it's match. Yeah. So uh, which which most of it seems to be match now. That's like where everybody's going. Uh, coverages are fascinating to me. I know this is not our topic, but I studied them for like a week this offseason. Like just because you know, we read about them. You know, I play Madden with my son and stuff. You know, <laughs> the basics of what they are. And honestly, like that, te- the game teaches you a lot. Uh, but like, man, I just started reading all this stuff at PFF, and they've got like journals on this stuff, like that I was able to go dig into, and I was reaching out to the experts. Like, I was just like, I knew coverages were complex, but like, mm-hmm. it made me just give a whole new appreciation to what those defenders are doing and how much they have to like their assignments. Like their assignments are so much more complex than what like the average fan thinks. And then also flip side quarterbacks having to be able to, to decipher it all and translate it. Like, man, like there is a lot going on in NFL coverages. Yeah. And it's, it's something that I've looked at more than caring about like individual, like player matchups, like cornerback matchups. Uh, I've cared more about just how teams approach things. And then the offensive side too, you know, uh, the, what teams adjust to the the offense they're playing. Right. Like that's, I love seeing stuff like that. And we've been in a cat and mouse game. We've seen the Bengals try to figure stuff out the front half. We talk talk so much about man coverage and it's like 30%. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah. I mean, we talk about it all the time and it's, it's great for evaluating a receiver because like zone coverage uh, data can can be really noisy depending on the, like, was it, was it like over the top coverage? Was it under coverage? Like there's so, if you can find plays, like that's, what's cool about PFFs data. Like if you've got access to like the elite top notch stuff (laughs) is you can actually go in and isolate down to all the kinds of coverages that ultimately really equaled single man coverage, right? Whether it's the backside of like a cover, a cover four match, you know, that can happen in cover six. There's all these different things that can happen. And so it helps broaden out your pool like those data points are still really good for evaluating if receivers can get open like separation data like i definitely want to look at single man but to your point when i'm looking at matchups now like i just want to know the types of coverage that the defense is running the most and Mm -hmm. like how consistent are they like because some teams will just bounce all over each week but most teams kind of have they kind of have their go-tos, right? They're going to be really good at three or four coverages. Um, And so, like, when you see the cover four, the cover six stuff, man, like, you're not going deep. Like, it's just going to be tougher, you know, to deal with a lot of that. So, And we've seen a lot more of that. You know, a a lot of people have talked about cover two. The NFL has really started to shift more to, like, the Fangio stuff, like the the, the quarters cover six. That's the cheat code. That's what people are doing, yeah. That's yeah, because like you said, it, it, you implement man, you know, backside. You get when you play match, you get man coverage 
you get kind of like it's like double dipping, right? You get like best of both worlds, kind of. Uh, it's like the hero, the hero running back of strategies. Uh, but yeah, I mean, NFL team zone coverage way up, man coverage is way down. It's a trend we've seen, you know, for multiple years uh, on passing plays. Uh, hopefully, that's not a direct correlation to what's happening at the NFL in scoring. But uh, Pazuda's talked about it a bunch of times. This is the closest. That- I think it is happening, man. I think yeah. we're this is like the shift in baseball. I yeah, don't know that it'll be that about, big, yeah. but. You know, I love analytics. I love data. Uh, you know, I kind of went on a little bit of a rant on the Fantasy Life podcast last week about this. I'm like, I love all this, but man, I don't want all the scoring to go down. I don't want all the big plays to be gone. Like, I, look, I love baseball, but I honestly, and I think it's cool that the managers have all this stuff at their disposal, but I just liked it better when there wasn't a shift. Call me a boomer. Call me an old dude yelling at the clouds. I don't know. It's like, this is the reason they're getting rid of it, too. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. But I mean, yeah, like, we need NFL, it to be like, so like no safety can uh, line up like 10 yards past the. <laughs> You can't line up 10 yards beyond the, where the ball is. Uh, or maybe we can go that route. But we've seen the NFL. Like, that's the, the way to combat it. And like I said, uh, Dan wrote an article this week. This is the closest that EPA per rushing play and per passing play have yep. been. Like, like, teams are starting to run the football more. Like Did you see Pat Corain's tweet about uh, – it was a great uh, – no, I missed it. Yeah, he put out a tweet about Baker Mayfield. Um and I can't remember how many teams, but there's multiple teams that have an uh, have higher EPA per play on rushing attempts than than what, Baker throwing. Than, than, than Baker throwing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sums up all the issues for Carolina. I made the joke earlier that uh, the Carson Wentz Carolina Panthers 2023 season is going to be pretty fun. Uh, poor, poor DJ Moore, poor DJ Moore. Uh, hey, you have to tell me. You have to tell me. I know we probably got to do rapid fire now, but like Tyler right. Zalera, we can't skip it. I got to know oh. where Rich stands on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I know you're asking me. I'll get my thoughts, but I want to know where you stand on CEH. I was. I was going to try to bring it home with some week five talk here, but uh, we can talk about uh, CEH. We got to hit uh, him first, man. Well, you got to go. G- give me – go. I, you're the guest. It's not my show. Okay, I'm fine. So high. Like, still so high. Look, <laughs> he's in a good offense. Like, so, again, we talk about the criteria. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, is he a good player? No. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, does he have good utilization? No. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, does he play in a good offense? Yes. But here's the thing. People assume the touchdowns are going to continue. He has been lucky as hell, man. He does not get all the work inside the five. On the year, this guy has 33% of their carries inside the five. That's the first thing I have to dispute on Twitter. Man, well, he's on a good offense getting all the carries inside the five. Nope. Nope. Next, you got something else? He's not. Um, Okay, great. Well, he's getting the short down and distance. That means he's going to get more work inside the five. Nope. He's not, not even getting half of it. He's running a lot of routes. No, no, he's not. He's not even seeing 40% route participation. So he's been completely lucky. He sucks. His missed tackles force per attempt below the league average. His yards after contact have been good, but a lot of it ties back to like two runs where he's just basically busting a long one where it's all blocked up perfect. Uh, Explosive rush rate though, despite having those, Below the league average. The league average, 11.5% of carries go for 10-plus yards. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 7%. 7%. So, like, the talent profile is not there. The utilization is not there. Yes, he's in a good offense, but his role, his role, two-minute offense, the last two weeks, 0%. Now, he didn't, sorry, they didn't run it last week, didn't have to. So, 38% on the year, right? Long down and distance. Well, he at least gets out there for that. No, he doesn't, 3%. Jarrett McKinnon gets all the passing down work. Well, when they're a lead, he gets to close out the game. No, he doesn't. Isaiah Pacheco, that's when Isaiah Pacheco's role increases. Now, Edwards Alaire is still getting to be out there. It's not like it's completely Pacheco. But if you look at the games when the Chiefs are leading, Pacheco's rushing attempts go up. 
because they want him out there to help alleviate that. And so for me, like, look, I was in on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I actually used to be a Clyde Edwards-Alaire homer. So you're talking to someone that's actually had to turn the corner and he's finally doing good. It's just hard because he keeps scoring and there's so many people that love Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Like it's crazy how many people love him. And I get called a complete clown all the time for this, but I can't abandon my approach, Rich. I can't. The data tells me in every facet, there's only one positive thing for Ed Rizalaire. Like if, even if you were to tell me, fine, he's getting, he's only out there 40% of the snaps, but he gets all the work inside the five. Then I would say, fine, it's sustainable. Like he's on a good team. He's out there scoring touchdowns when he should be. But when you don't even get half of that work, like you're getting 30% of it and you're telling me this is going to keep like, people are like, well, man, he's out there scoring touchdowns when it matters. I'm like, but he's really not like, he's been lucky to be the one on the field when this is happening. So what do you say? uh yeah no i would love to sell him high if i could i think that there's always like it's one of these things depends on your league man at some point though it happens he's rb4 yeah he's the rb4 he never gets ranked near the rb4 too and it's so like it's it's because he you have one of these things where like literally everyone is in your ear telling you to sell clatter to Edwards Lair, and your league knows that too for the majority stance i mean Grant I see some that. really good traits for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Like if yeah, you go look at would... Yahoo, just in your typical leagues, like over the last three weeks, I've seen a ton of great trades where people are moving him. Now I don't know to your point what's the percentage. I, I don't yeah. like that data is not there, right? I can't tell you like you know, what, yeah, yeah, we don't know. But I just go and I look, and there's tons of reasonable, I thought reasonable stuff where you're picking up a wide receiver too, like a mid-range wide receiver too. Um, you know, so like that, I've seen a ton of those trades. I, I think it's tough to flip him for another running back. Right. I think at that right, point, people are right. like, eh, no, nah, I'm not, not going to do that. He has but. to be a you have running backs. I need wide receiver type of deal. Like you need to find teams in your league. So the most optimal way to trade anyways is to do this. But especially in this yeah. instance is to go through the rosters in your league that need a running back. Exactly. And that's where you start. That's that's like your starting point. And then you see what you can get uh, from those teams. And you can look at those teams and maybe they have a guy that you really like or you're high on. And you can do. I will say that this Sunday night game was encouraging, not the touchdowns, because the the, the one touchdown where Mahomes outran the defender, spun around. <laughs> that was so the, crazy. The, the play before that, Jerick McKinnon had a goal on carry. Yeah. The, the exact play before that. Uh, then later in the game, we had the Noah Gray. Because the Chiefs are going to do this shit. This is what the Chiefs do. Like, when the Chiefs get inside the five, it's like very creative. Like, they, they have a playbook that just like only like no one has these plays. Well, they but, say their favorite day of the week is the install day for the carry for the for the plays inside the five. Like I mean, that's what Travis Kelsey pass, said. They threw a pass in the playoffs last year with Blake Bell, like who was a college quarterback, <laughs> kind of. Uh like, but uh they, they this is the shit they do. This is what they're they, the they, most they, important plays of your game. Like a lot of coaches should probably take a page out of Andy Reid's playbook and maybe spend more time there. Now, I don't know. A lot of maybe every coach is spending an equal amount of time mm-hmm. and Andy Reid is just better with the time and coming up with the good stuff. But man, like when you're down there, you need to t- you you should got to be scoring touchdowns. Like so I love what they do. But this was the first week where cuz coming into this year I looked at what the Chiefs did this offseason and how they structured their team. Obviously, trading Tyree Kill was the hugest part of that. And I was like, man, they're going to play some power. They're going to play some bully ball this year. Like, it's going to happen. And, like, the first three weeks, I was like, nah, I guess they're not. And then Sunday night, they were like, no, nah, we're going to play bully ball. And not only did they play bully ball, they played it against a Todd Bowles defense. Like, like I did not see that coming from a million miles away. 
to like the Chiefs to just come out and like they. Well, a lot of like, that that was definitely game script induced. Like, well, sure, extent. like because you get like, way even when you get out way ahead. I, yeah. It wasn't just CH; it was Pacheco. Like they were because oh, Pacheco I, yeah. like really wasn't getting run the last pre- previous couple games, and then like they, like it was clearly part of like their approach to the game though. Like yeah. you I think when they go into closeout mode, they will go to bully ball, and that's also when Pacheco gets on the field more. Yeah, so. yeah. I will say that if you do are forced to hold Ceh, if you don't find a dance partner, uh, he does he does share some contingent upside if yes. something were to happen yes. with McKinnon because McKinnon's the big the, one for all the things we've talked about to this point. Like Pacheco's probably not going to get those snaps for the same reason that Clyde Edwards-Helaire isn't getting it to this point as Kirk. Remember, even as a rookie. That remember, I'll still never forget Clyde Edwards Lair's first career game when he had the long touchdown run against the Texans. He didn't play any third downs that game. It was Daryl Williams initially from go. And it was like, oh, yep, here we go. Because he was a, he was an awful pass protector in college. It was the one like terrible part of his game uh at LSU. But uh we've seen that he's never run those roles, but like they're not gonna give those to Pacheco. Uh, so that's your out. Like I think he's more or less fine as like a boomer bust RB2, like if you have to hold. I would sell high if I could, uh, but of course everyone is screaming from the mountaintops to do so. And your league, it's so interesting up. though, like because when you <laughs> say anything about Clyde Edwards-Helaire, like that, like he can't keep this up. You also have this huge horde of people that come out of the woodwork that say you're an idiot. So like, it's it's kind of interesting because it's like very polarizing, right? You've got people that are standing with the data, and then yeah. maybe that's why, maybe that's why it feels that way. There's no middle ground on Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, and that's why I like what you're you're actually sharing the middle ground on Clyde Edwards-Alaire right now, which is why you're so awesome. Uh, but it's it's kind of interesting. Like I would, I've seen the trades. I don't know how many there are, but I also just know there's so many people standing for him that I'm like, there's clearly people that also believe that he's really this good, and that all this data we're sharing doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point, it's like who's really? But then you go look at the ranks. And analysts are not moving Edwards Lair up. No, like no one's him. moved him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now this week, that like this is the highest he's ranked for me was this week. Um, you know, I like I like the matchup and everything. And I mean, he's still gonna basically have the same role, but I think there's, you know, maybe he comes through again for you with a touchdown. But and look, hey, luck is a real thing. Sometimes you can just run hot in life. And we've seen this in fantasy in the past. There have been guys, Rich, that I have been like, this can't last. This can't last, and it lasts all season. Mm-hmm. And, and it defies the data, like right? it, it just defies it, you know. Um, and so that can happen. You can just run good. So there's also Jimmy Johnson used to say, "Hey, he'd rather be lucky than good." Like I kind of doubt that, but like that's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is interesting. I've been kind of one. Yeah, I've been kind of like more or less in that middle, like kind of operating space because, like, I one, I don't have Clyderitzler anywhere, so like I don't. Really I don't either. To, I don't like, either. I don't have to like really make that choice, but it's like one of those things. Yeah, it's like well, if, if everyone's telling you to sell, we did this with James Robinson a couple weeks ago, and everyone's like, everyone's telling you to sell James Robinson. It's like, well everyone like what, what can i get for him then uh yeah so that's kind of where we are uh so yeah you just hope that maybe something mckinnon loses some of that role throughout the season but uh that's that's really like what you need to have happen to have this like become sustainable to a degree like at least from fantasy point perspective not how he's getting there right now yeah but uh yeah chiefs chiefs are interesting anyways they're a team i find very interesting this first month of the season because we've seen None of the receivers outside of Juju really be functional, and he's just been, like, on the baseline. Uh, And the two games that Travis Kelsey was kind of slowed down, they really didn't play well. Uh, They're a very intriguing team to me. Um, 
like the Ravens. Uh, now I do want to get your take on the Ravens a little bit yeah. too. Uh, Cause the Ravens are in the same boat. Like one, they, they weren't playing Bateman as much as they should have been. And now he's hurt. So like we can't even count on him playing Sunday night, but it's like, you know, same thing when you're just down to Mark Andrews, it's so hard. Uh, but when teams, the first three weeks were just sending blitz after blitz after blitz at Lamar Jackson, it was like Lamar Jackson was finding ways to win. And the bills were like, we didn't expect them to blitz. So I'm curious now if like teams are going to look at that now and, and say like, all right, this is the way to approach the Ravens because the Ravens in structure offense is trash. It's terrible. Right. If Lamar Jackson doesn't make an amazing play, the Ravens have no offense. Yeah. And, yeah. and as good as Lamar Jackson was for fantasy weeks two and three, um, and I'm not saying like you have to run Dunkle Bardak. He's gonna be fine overall, but like are we gonna look back at that that like two game sample and like constantly like just hang on to that for the rest of the season? I'm curious like your thoughts yeah. on just the Ravens in general. Well, I think there's a really good parallel. Like everyone is so down on Kyler Murray. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. This if if you go look at the Cardinals offense, like in schematically the designs, like there's nothing there that is even like close to being like forward thinking. Like this is stuff teams were doing 10 and 15 years ago, keeping your receiver on one side of the field, not using enough motion, um, not using enough, you know, their play action hasn't been terrible. Um, But I mean, so Kyler Murray is basically when he goes out of structure is like what helps make the Cardinals better. It hasn't gone well. You have the opposite, right? With Lamar Jackson. Now the offset is Lamar is much more involved, like in the design rushing game. Mm-hmm. You know, Lamar Jackson is going to see 25 to 30 percent of the design rushing attempts for the Ravens, whereas, you know, Murray's going to be more like 15 percent. And then you hope he scrambles, which is scrambling has been down, you know, this season. Um, so I think there's some parallels there, though. You know, so people are so high on Lamar Jackson and they're so low on Kyler Murray. The answer is they should both still be we should be thinking of them closer together. Right. And I still think Lamar is going to be fine at the end of the day. Yeah. Like the getting those carries is what does it right. If you get that many of the rushing attempts for your team and you're as good as he is at doing that. And then when you're breaking, you know, out of the structure of the play, you can make the big plays he does. Um, and he's got two playmakers like Bateman. We'll see what's up with him this weekend. But like Mark Andrews being such a mismatch, you know, against linebacker safeties, all those things. I think, though, I think the other thing is it's such a consolidated offense. Like, we don't have to worry about it supporting that many players. Like, I think he'll be good enough. Like, the Andrews and him are going to be fine. I think it keeps Bateman in that boom-bust range. I think the interesting part about the Bills, you know, and it's kind of going back to all the coverage stuff, and they've been leading the way on this, you know, really for, you know, they started doing a lot of this even last year. But if you look at, you know, the percentage of plays that they're running zone over the first couple of weeks, like they were by far and away the top team. Now they're at 79% on the season. That's the fourth most, according to PFF data, like the Rams are top. The Rams actually were the first team to really start doing this. Then the Chargers started doing it. Then the Bills started doing it. Now the 49ers are doing it this year as well. They're at 79%. But the interesting part, like that when you put the, the other part of the equation is what the Bills are able to do just applying for people to get pressure. Yeah, you um, have that's, that's the key to it. That's that's the, the difference. And that was the 49ers under Fangio, like when they had Justin Smith and like, yes. like that. yeah. <laughs> yes. So they've had like uh, they've had some of their young defensive linemen really take a step forward. Like even like Ed Oliver, the defensive tackle, like has really been an underperformer versus where he was taken in the NFL draft. Like, and then you look at uh, Rousseau, the defensive end, they took in the second round two years ago, I believe. Not this past draft, but the draft before. Mm-hmm. Like, he's really come out and played good early in the season. So 
when you can like going back to even like the Super Bowls where the Giants beat the Patriots and that great offense, yes, what did they yeah. do? They had Strahan, you know, and they had I can't remember if that one was JPP or if it was still OC Omanyora. Uh, I can't remember which two that was, but when they beat, you know, the Patriots and maybe one of the best offenses we've seen all time ever, it was the same thing. Everyone in coverage getting pressure with four. So it's it's a magic uh, bullet that not that most teams can't make work. So I think, you know, with the Bills, could they have shown how to beat the Ravens? Maybe. But can other teams pull that same style off? Yeah. Like, I just don't see many teams that can do it. I, the teams that would scare me would be the 49ers, right? It would be the Rams if they can, they can really get the pass rush working beyond just what they get with Aaron Donald. Like, I think those are the teams that could be problematic. So a lot of these other teams that run zone, it's fine. Like, I look at it, but I'm like, well, they run zone, but, like, they don't get pressure enough. And right. so, especially with just four, you know, when you just want to send four. Yeah, the Bengals are interesting. Uh, I think Lou Anarumu is the the actual, Yeah, they so, are interesting. Yeah, He's so good. Uh, he, uh, he's the exact opposite of Zach Taylor, and it's really keeping them, you oh know. Uh, but the Bengals are one of those teams. They're, they're ninth in pressure rate, uh, rushing four more passers. Uh, I find that game so interesting. Yeah, the only quarterbacks with a worse EPA per dropback than Lamar Jackson when teams rush four or fewer defenders have been Jimmy Garoppolo, Cooper Rush, Baker Mayfield, and Mitchell Trubisky. Um, yeah, it's and it's just, rough on all. It's rough on all of them. Do you have the data in front of you? Like how much like like your fantasy points per dropback go down? Like in those scenarios, uh, I, bet not, it, I bet it's huge, man. I don't have I it up, but Lamar's are the Lamar's the one that has stood out early in the season because I brought this. We were like in the weeds in this last week because we knew what the Bills were going to do. Uh, you know, with Gretchen Pizzuto, we were like way in the weeds on this of like under coming into that matchup and like the weather didn't help either. But uh, so like he he has just like really night and day splits because of how good he's been because he's the exact opposite against the blitz. Like he'd absolutely just just decimated the Patriots and the Dolphins against the blitz two weeks in a row. And it's early in the season. So like his numbers were just so night and day. Yeah. And, and we were curious if it was going to stick. And then obviously the, the Bills were able to get home before. They actually did pepper in a couple blitzes in the second half of that game. And then Lamar looked bad because the offense has been like such boomer bust, just relying on big plays. And I'm curious to see how the Bengals defend them. Obviously, we're seeing the Bengals fight through like their own issues with Zach Taylor uh, and, you know, manipulating too high themselves. They were a team that was seeing like a, a just a ton of cover two to start the year. Now they're starting to get under center more to manipulate some of that. But then they're still just running a ton on first down for no reason. Uh, there's a lot early in the yeah, season. The thing that baffles me the most <laughs> about their offense is when they do get the single man looks. Like they're not going to Jamar Chase. They're not going to T Higgins enough. Like yeah. if you go watch the games and if you like look at the coverages they're getting, they're they're still getting into scenarios where there's enough single man. Like, and I know Joe Burrow, like, I mean, I think he's smart enough to figure it out. Um, so that's really interesting. Like if you look at the targets per route run across the league over the first several weeks versus single man coverage, like basically a quarterback sees you have single man, like I'm going there. Like DK mm-hmm. Metcalf is like at the very top. And you would expect to see a guy like Jamar Chase and T Higgins stylistically, the players that they are like, they're not even like the top 20, neither one of them. Like, so it's just weird. Like even when they get the coverage, like, I don't, what are we doing? Like we're going to Hayden Hurst. I got single, I got single man coverage on the outside. We're going to hit Hayden Hurst <laughs> or Tyler Boyd. I got, and those guys don't have huge target shares. So it's like, we, it's like a weird 
Like, I'm like, what is this Rubik's Cube? Like, I can't figure it out. Like, how can how, I don't even know how to make it all work? It's like someone took all the stickers off and moved them around, and you're messing with it. You're like, what is wrong with this? And there's because, like, yeah, man, like, I'm totally just jacking with you. You can't solve it. Like, it's yeah, that's Zach Taylor, man. I've been trying to figure out the conundrum that is Zach Taylor for the last couple of years, and I, I can't get there. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't quite uh, figured out. I'm glad it to out. hear I have company because I cannot either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's fun though. I love getting the weeds and all that stuff. You know, you and I was on with you and Ian in the offseason talked about the Dolphins and was giving my spiel why to believe in Tua, like for all the reasons, you know, and it's like, you know, the week two, I was like, yeah, you know, yeah. this is how I envisioned it. This is how I envisioned it. And now, you know, this is, we have this terrible run out with how Tua has been handled. I just hope he's all right. And he's able to get back on the field. Uh, but yeah, listen, it's great. It's always we can we can just record this for a while and talk for hours. And I know we've already been recording an hour and a half, so uh, we'll put a bow on it as that. Uh, Dwayne, it's always it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Remind everyone on the way out here again where they can find everything you're doing because, like you said, it is free now. Yeah, yeah. So over at fantasylife.com. So if you guys search Matthew Berry's Fantasy Life, you'll find it. Just put in uh, fantasylife.com. Like you're going to find it. Again, you can find my stuff over on Twitter. So typically my schedule is on Tuesday around midday, the utilization report hits. And then usually Wednesday afternoon, evening, um, my rankings and tiers for the week will hit. And then later in the week, you know, there's always there's always cool stuff going on. But we've got a free newsletter comes to your inbox. So go subscribe to that. Um, it's basically five minutes of reading in the morning. It's basically it's everything from the previous day that you need to know any other cool trends. Like I'm always dropping like even even stuff that I didn't put like in the full on utilization report. Like I'll continue like dropping nuggets and stuff in there the rest of the week. Matchup nuggets. This kind of stuff we're talking about today. Like I have to ask them. I'm like, am I getting too nerdy like for the <laughs> newsletter? Like is somebody going to open this and just close it and unsubscribe? And they're like, no, 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 no. Like it's a good mix. So I try to drop you know, that stuff in there as well. So Peter Overzet and I, like we rotate like on who's writing that. Um, we've got a lot of awesome contributors that are also making that really great. So we got like Chris Allen, he does a premier matchup piece over there. We've got a regression piece that comes out weekly. So all sorts of cool stuff and content. And again, free five minutes, you know, if you're just trying to keep up, you know, every day and you can't be staring at it all the time, like it's a great way to do that. Beautiful. I love it. Everyone go check out Dwayne's work. As always, you know, me, Swami Kami, Edward Reeves on Twitter. Uh, we've got the Bet25 promo going on at Sharp Football, so you get 25% off anything on the site. Good luck to everybody in week five. We'll be back in week six. <laughs>